Hey, good morning. Welcome to What Would Kay Say? I'm your host, Kay Edwards, coming to you from Brooklyn, the progressive borough of Brooklyn. How is everybody doing today? I like to say welcome. But first, before I get started, I'd like to do my housekeeping and announcements. And today, I have an update. We have a change from last week when I told you that um, the undercover virtual benefit music concert that was going to take place on June 20th, they changed the date. The date is now going to be June 19th, which is just the day before, but it was the undercover virtual music industry was having a concert, a virtual concert. And the tickets in advance are a dollar. Tickets at the door will be $3.15. And if you want more information, you can go to, uh, what was that website again? Undercover. Oh, link. Oh. They have a, if you want to get the tickets, it's at 
dice.fm. Um, and if you wanted to find out more information, Undercover NYC. That's what it is. If you want to find out more information about this concert, it's Undercover NYC. And the tickets are at Dice FM. But the venue has changed to June 19th. And who's going to be there again? Oh, yes. Ash Jesus is going to be there. The Big Easy is going to be there. And Eclectric Method. So they're going to perform. So if you like that type of music, if you like to hear some good music while you're still in the house, have nothing else to do, you can tune in. It's only a dollar for the tickets. And that half the proceeds go to the artists that are performing, and the other part goes to the Music Foundation. So enjoy if any anyone decides to participate. So now we can get into the show. Let's see. Okay, so now today, this past week, what I decided to do was I said that I would get some information for myself. Since I was telling everyone to go and look up and research to find out, I decided to do the same. And in doing so, I came across two documentaries that had to do with the uh, black movement and activism. So I said, let me, you know, just watch these to see what they're about. And lo and behold, I learned something new. And then what does the Bible always say? In all thy getting, get understanding, right? Proverbs 4, 5, get wisdom, get understanding. Or even better, Proverbs 4, 7, wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom and in all thy getting, get understanding. So how could I tell someone to go get understanding and I'm not getting understanding myself. So this week I actually watched two documentaries. One was called The Birth of a Movement and one was called Uncomfortable Truth. Now, both of them I found quite interesting, right? So today I want to talk about the two documentaries that I came across and just what I got from them and what was enlightening to me. Because you know how you can always know a story, you know a story from people constantly telling the story, but then when you really do the research, sometimes the story isn't exactly the way it has been told to you. And of course, it's like that game telephone, right? You start a story, the next person tells it, the next person tells it. And by the time it gets down the chain, it's a totally different story. So in watching these two, I learned a lot. And sometimes in two, of, not in two of these, in one of these, it's exactly, that was almost like what it was about. It was the, the, the one that I watched, The Uncomfortable Truth. It was about um, a guy right? This is the story of a Caucasian man and he wanted to find out about his family history. And in tracing his family lineage, he uncovered information that was mind blowing to him. 
And just for the record, I would strongly suggest that all Caucasians trace their family history if they want to have a better understanding as to what's going on and how we got to where we are today. Because unless you're sure that your family came through Ellis Island in the 1950s, then I would trace my family lineages to find out where everybody really came from and when they actually stepped foot here in America. So, and I say that to say, because sometimes the information that's passed down through your family is not always the exact story of what happened. So in this documentary, I found you know, he was surprised some of the things that he found out about his family. And just listening to the documentary, I was surprised to find out that some of the things that we hear about in history isn't always the way everything that isn't always the way it went down. Well, of course, we know things change, but to actually see someone who actually found out information and then was able to change some stories around. It was like, it was really fascinating. So like a lot of the people that owned slaves, they weren't really overflowing rich with money. It, it wasn't like everybody who had slaves was so prosperous and doing well and had acres and acres and acres of land. That's why they needed all these slaves. That, no, it wasn't like that at all. So when you find that out, it's like, hmm. So that's just like having a maid or a nanny today. That's exactly what that was. And people were arguing about that. But then when I took a, a thought about it, I said, if your life was where you didn't have to do anything for yourself when I say anything absolutely nothing and all you had to do was whatever you felt like doing who wouldn't want that life I mean just thinking about it who wouldn't want that life not that you would want somebody to be a slave for it no but just the concept of not ever having to do anything for yourself Hmm. Interesting, right? But anyway, that's what I got from that story. And it was just, it, it was just really interesting. And to hear how he went through the whole process and everything he did to uncover this information, I found it to be really good. So that was one. The next one was the birth of a nation. Actually, it was called the birth of a movement. But it was based on the movie, A Birth of a Nation. Okay, let me start from the beginning. There were, okay, how could I start this? I want to do the good, I want to do a proper introduction so you could get a whole idea of the time that was happening okay here we are we're in we're right after slavery had ended right 
So African-Americans gained their freedom and began moving off of plantations. They started building their own towns, living in little communities that required no assistance from their Caucasian overseers, right? Or their plantation owners. So these Caucasians still wanted to keep them as slaves. Of course, you know, why not? Because they were doing all the work. So hence comes in the burning down of Tulsa, you know, the incident at Rosewood. But there was a, there were tons of other black communities that were set up along different, in different states in the United States, right? Like they have Eatonville in Florida. They had blackdom in, in New Mexico. But when you think about how Jim Crow and Reconstruction came into play, that's how black people became disadvantaged. Because when they started going to these other states and setting up these other communities, they were doing quite well for themselves. They had taken the time. Yes, it was a struggle. Yes, it was hard. But of course, you figure you're going into new territory. You don't know anything about it. It's uncharted land. So they had to work, but they did it. They did it because it gave them the freedom that they wanted. They were able to take care of their families and they were able to own something of their own instead of being owned. They were able to possess some land, right? So now here we go forward into reconstruction and here comes the Jim Crow laws, right? Now the name Jim Crow was, um, he was actually a real person and he, it was a character that was played by this guy named Thomas Rice. Now he was an actor and what he would do, of course, back then to exaggerate black people and do the stereotypical dancing and singing like what Al Josen used to do. They painted their face, you know, with charcoal and made fun and ate watermelon and things like that. So his character that he created was called Jim Crow. And because at the time when they started these, um, when they started making up these laws to segregate black people from having the life that they should have, and this character was being played on the stage, they associated those laws with the name and they just became synonymous with one another. And that's how it became the Jim Crow laws. So, and now these Jim Crow laws were actually it was just laws that was they they actually took laws that were on the books for black people and they reversed them they turned them so black people the rights that they had they then they then started creating these laws to take these rights away from them so under the Jim Crow law blacks and mulattoes which were the mixed people were then deemed as second class citizens, right? And Jim Crow represented the legitim the legitimacy of having anti black racism because the way he danced and everything and did certain things to make black people look bad. So here it is that now this is where it starts to get interesting to me when I was just scratching my head. I'm like, 
many Christian ministers and theologians taught that whites were the chosen people, blacks and mulattoes were doomed to be servants, and God supported racial segregation. So here we have it. In God supporting racial segregation, then it justified anything that they wanted to do with the slaves. Because you can read, in in all honesty, you can take any book and take parts out of it to make it fit to what you want it to fit to. And that's the problem with some people in the church today. They will take passages from the Bible and make it fit so that it justifies whatever it is that they want to do so they can still feel like they are still following what God told them to do. Well, that's not how you, that's not how you interpret the Bible. That's not how you interpret it, but that I'm sure is how they interpreted it back then to be able to be justified for what they wanted to do to black people to keep them subservient under them. But I say that to say, so here it is we have, after that they make that statement, right? And then after reconstruction in 1870, now this took place between 1877 and 19 and the 1960s. So this is how long they kept this whole lie going. And when, like I said, when you tell yourself a lie long enough, you begin to believe it because to you, that's then the truth, because that's the way you've been living. That's the way you've been operating. That's the way you've been moving and everything that you do. So to you, that becomes a way of life. So laws were reenacted to remove many of the rights that blacks had acquired in the constitution, right? They changed, they, they put in the 13th, the 14th and the 15th amendment in the constitution after slavery was ended. And those amendments were, the 13th amendment was, it abolished slavery. The 14th redefined national citizenship, providing protection based upon race, color, and creed, and extending citizenship to slaves and their descendants. The 15th amendment stated, the right of citizens of the United States to vote shall not be denied or abridged by the United States or by any state on account of race or color or previous status. So right there, they were free to slaves. They were made citizens. And then on top of that, they were given the right to vote. Right. So here it is. Pro segregationalist politicians used to give speeches about how dangerous it would be to have the slaves or African-Americans integrate with the white race and that they found that crossbreeding was going to um how did I put it? That crossbreeding would be like a detriment to the white race if they were to intermingle with one another. Then I really was scratching my head because I was like, okay, so where do you think all these mulatto children came from? 
It came from the crossbreeding of the Caucasian slave owners breeding the slave girls. So I'm like, okay, when you have a slave, it's okay for you to be with her and have kids. But when she's a free person, you don't want to be with her and have kids. I'm like, okay. They knew they were sleeping with them. Everybody knew that they were sleeping with their slave girls. I don't know a plantation owner that wasn't sleeping with the slave girls. The only ones that you couldn't tell were sleeping with the slave girls was the ones that didn't have babies. But if they had a baby, of course you knew. Everybody knew. That's what they did. But now that they're free, you would think that they would say, okay, well, I was sleeping. But I guess maybe it's different when you sleep with them, when you own them, as opposed to sleeping with them and you don't. Well, anyway, you know, that's a whole different conversation. We won't go off onto that. We're talking about right now, we're talking about the documentary of birth of a movement. So we're going to keep it there. So here we have it. So now, since they're citizens, right? Now check this out. Black people are now citizens. They're now able to vote. They're free to move about and do whatever they want to do, right? So... Back then, everybody was allowed to carry a gun. So when after the Civil War and the slaves became freed and they were citizens, that now meant that they were able to carry a gun. They could run for office. They could file criminal complaints against white people. Anything that a white person could do, a black person could do after slavery. Anything. Same exact thing. There was no difference between the two. No difference. Anything that happened, somebody wronged you, you could take them to court, have a trial, the whole nine yards. They had the capability of doing that. So now here it is. Of course, you know, white America is not going for that. So here comes the birth of the KKK. Now they went to the politicians and the lawmakers and they were like, you know, we don't like this. How are we supposed to protect our land or protect what we have if we have black people that's able to walk around with guns just like we're able to walk around with guns? So what did they do? A lot of the Klansmen were, of course, they got, they got, involved in law enforcement because you have to remember the confederates that were fighting in this war in the civil war were actually clansmen because they didn't want slavery to end so when those veterans came well not come back because they were already on our land so when those veterans put down their arms and stopped fighting against one another they then went back to civilian work and a lot of them became police officers hence the mentality that we're having today so you have these clansmen that were fighting in the war they're now police officers and they now run for political office so they're in the court systems they're in the police system they're in legislature they're making the laws they're upholding the laws so all this stuff they're going to make it to where everything turns out to be the way they want. So even though black people 
had acquired all these rights, there was no way that the new politicians, police force, judges was going to uphold those laws because they didn't want them to have those rights to begin with. So what they did is they started changing the laws the best way they could. Now in the beginning, in the beginning, the federal government, because they know they have passed these laws for African Americans, they had beat down the Klan. They had beat them down, you know, told them, no, you can't do this, it's illegal. They were really out there rah, rah, rah for black people to get everything that they were supposed to get according to the Constitution, right? Here comes a filmmaker, D.W. Griffith, right? <clears throat> Excuse me. Who created what is considered at that particular time an immortal classic, a movie called The Birth of a Nation. Now, a little background on D.W. Griffith. He was born poor. So imagine he's born poor. He sees slaves. He sees the whole concept, understand what it is. He's grown up with it. And now these black people are free. And they're able to do whatever they want. Now, mind you, he's still poor. But they're able to go and do whatever they want to do and or have the capability of and he's he has nothing but he sees them starting to acquire different things or he hears that they're starting to acquire different things or they're now able to walk down the street on the same town that they were once not able to walk down or, or live in, or they're now able to go in stores and purchase things that they weren't allowed to do before. So of course, you know, he's sitting back like, what is this? You know, what is going on? One day they're a slave and now I have to rub shoulders with them. Of course, you know, that wasn't sitting well with him. Fast forward, he liked the movies, and that was in the time of the Nickelodeon where they had the individual, uh, those little things that used to turn and you'd put your head in and you'd see a movie and a whole bunch of pictures would just go around. He took that concept and he put it on film, and that's when you know they had the silent talkies, and he made this movie. But what he was really accredited with was the editing part that he did, he learned a technique where he can edit the, the, the reel so that he kept the like suspense going. Like what we know now when we have suspense in a movie, like they'll show us a scene and then they'll cut to a, another scene really quick and you're like, oh my gosh, you know, all surprised. He actually started doing that in his film, which was this one, The Birth of a Nation. He was playing around with that concept and that's why this film was so epic to them back then besides the fact of the storyline and I have to tell you the storyline the movie depicted black people as savages lusting after Caucasian women sitting in the house of representatives in the congress he had them of course you know because they want to keep playing upon that stereotypical black person that they want everybody to think that's how black people are. 
eating chicken, drinking booze, smoking, walking around with no shoes on, passing all these laws that they could now marry white women, all this stuff. He put all this stuff in the movie, how white women were just so vulnerable and so innocent and these black men were just preying on them, right? So with all these negative depictions concerning African-Americans, here he has it. Of course, you know, if you have a protagonist in the movie, you always have to have a hero, right? So here it is. You have this, this whole group of people that's just, oh, horrible, horrible. They're doing all these horrible things. And who do you think comes to save the day? The KKK, they ride into town, they save those innocent Caucasian women, and all of America is saved, right? So this movie actually gave a birth to the Klan, because where they had been, you know, disbanded because the federal government was like, no, you can't do that, we're not following behind that, because at that time, those that were in charge in the federal government were from the North. So they were the ones saying, no, we already fought this war. This is what happened. These are the new laws. This is what you got to follow by. So they had disbanded the group. When this movie came out, it gave it a resurgent, right? Because the Klan was originally formed in 1865 when slavery ended. Well, actually, slavery ended in 1863, but they weren't told they were free until 1865. But that's another story, too. So here it is. They had they had written this book called The Klansman. And now here comes D.W. Griffith to make a major motion picture out of this book. So now he knew when he made that movie that he was going to get some backlash. So here's his brilliancy. He decides, I'm going to go show it to the president. So now at that time, when this movie came out, Woodrow Wilson was the president, and he was the first Southerner that had got elected to be president at that time because they weren't Southerners before. He says, I'm going to go and show this movie to the president. So that movie was the first movie ever screened at the White House. And of course, with Wilson being from the South, of course, you know, he was going to think that was the best movie since any movie. I mean, how many movies did they have back then? Right. So when he saw that movie, he right away started going into putting things into effect to repeal the rights that African-Americans had been given after slavery. So now here it is. You have this movie being able to be shown all over the country to promote this racist propaganda against black people. You have the president backing it because, oh, he thinks this is a sensational movie. It's the best movie ever. And here, now mind you, in the North, you had African-Americans that were going to Harvard, graduating, you know, doing, becoming doctors, engineers. They were living their life as they should have. And 
they get wind that this movie is has been made and it's going to make its way up to the north. So now here it is, this one journalist, right? He was a journalist. He lived in Boston, Massachusetts, and he owned a newspaper called The Guardian. His name was William Monroe Trotter. Now, he was a civil rights activist in the early 20th century, right? So when he got wind that they were trying to show this movie up in Boston, he gathered people together for a rally, which what we call today a protest to stop the screening, right? So they went to the movie theater, all of them together, tried to buy tickets, but they had already told the people in the movie theater, do not sell tickets to black people because we don't want them in here. We don't want them disrupting the, the showing of the video of the film. They wouldn't let him buy tickets. A whole big fight erupted. They were arrested, yada, yada, yada. Now, the good, the thing about this is the reason why I mentioned him and his whole, his protest was because that was like the beginning of the whole, now people, they've already been riots. There was always riots. People just breaking out fighting amongst themselves or amongst each other to get things resolved. But there had never at that time really been a real collecting of the people to say, okay, we're going to go and we're going to protest this. We don't like this. So it's almost like the, the, almost like the birth of that whole protesting, walking together for, for an injustice that you feel is being done. And also I mention him because he gave rise to what we now know as the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People. So all these things were coming about at this time. You have, this was the year 1918. You have the movie. You have the showing in the White House. You have the first Southern president in the White House. You have this movie depicting black people like they're savages. You have the movie having the KKK as heroes. And then what struck me, what I found so interesting out of the entire movie, I mean, because it was just exciting to watch the movie anyway, to just watch the whole birth of a movement. It was exciting to see how all these things were taking place and all these things came to play, right? But what gave me that, oh my gosh, moment was when, and it was so subtle in the movie because I was, although I was looking at the dates when all this was happening, I wasn't putting two and two together with the dates of when all this was happening. But as I was watching the movie, it came out that Trotter's wife, Deanie, right before this whole uprising with the movie theater, she passed away. Actually, it was after the uprising of the movie theater. She passed away. And they said she passed away from the Spanish flu. And when I heard that, I was like, oh my goodness. Okay, God, 
This is why you wanted me to watch this movie. Fast forward to today. Here we are, 102 years later, dealing with the same issues. Racial tension, racial upheaval, cops being doing unjust things to black people, killing them. We had back then, we had killing of black people because they didn't want them to have their freedoms. They didn't want them to have the liberties that they were supposed to, that they were given as rights under the law for being free. So here we go, 102 years later, dealing with issues, racial tension, a pandemic, because they had the Spanish flu, whereas we have Corona, a new movement comes out of theirs, which was the NAACP. And we have a movement now, which has come out of ours, Black Lives Matter. And we're right back in this situation again, right here again, dealing with the same issues that they were dealing with a hundred years ago. I thought that was just so, and when I saw it, I was like, oh my gosh, look at this. Here we are right back here again. I just found that interesting. So with that, I think I'm going to play some music and I want you to remember this is what would Kay say? I'm your host, Kay Edwards. I mean, it just, it just had me so like, oh my goodness, I couldn't believe it. But you're listening to What Would Kay Say on Radio Free Brooklyn, and we'll be back momentarily.
It's your girl, Kay Edwards, here, What Would Kay Say? And we're con- going to continue with uh, the conversation that we were having about the documentary that I watched over the past week called The Birth of a Movement. But now, I want to say, after all that I had said with black people being um, given their freedom, 
and then how everything just turned around against them. And then here we are once again trying to fight for liberties that were already given to us. It's like, when does the cycle end, right? But I want to remind us that in Ephesians 6 and 12, it tells us, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. So our war is a spiritual warfare thing that's going on. That's why this keeps coming back and keeps coming back and keeps coming back. Because like have I'm sure you've heard many say during the whole week, all we keep doing is letting it scab over and we're not fixing what the wound is. And it's because the wound can't be fixed until you fix it in the spirit realm. And we had talked about this before in my previous shows. And for anyone who hasn't heard any of my other shows, you can get them in the archives of Radio Free Brooklyn under What Would K Say? Or you can listen to them on Spotify or iTunes. What we had talked about previously when it came to things happening and words that words that bring things to life Anything that you that's going on in the spiritual realm, it's going to manifest down here in the physical. So you have to take care of it up there. And that's why it's so important that we pray. It's so important that we have that connection with our Heavenly Father. Let him see what we're going through. Let him know what we're going through, although he knows all things. But like we talked about last week, if that foundation is not built on the right premise, that house is not going to stand. So all these things are coming about now because of information that we already knew, but we weren't following it. And as you know, our word for this month is obedience because God is calling us to be an obedient people. Follow what I told you. I already gave you the blueprint. Follow it. And things will start to come together. But what had struck me going back to how the church had taken the information and they were using it for their own gain. Because you have to remember, those churches that upheld that Jim Crow law era stuff, they were plantation owners as well. So of course they were going to say whatever they needed to say to keep their congregation happy and to keep themselves happy because they were benefiting from the slavery and the economic um, gains that they acquired from having slaves. So it worked to their advantage to also play into that rhetoric of why the slaves should not have had the rights that they were given and they were, you know, you can't let them mix with us and everything else. So I just, I, I, I highly recommend anyone who didn't know about that movie because I didn't know about the movie. So this was my first time even seeing anything like that, finding out this whole backstory 
and I found it quite interesting. The name of it is Birth of a Nation. No, the movie is Birth of a Nation. The documentary that I saw is Birth of a Movement. And they're both, they're both interesting. I'm really going to go back. I only saw clips of Birth of a Nation and I started going in to watch the actual movie, but I only got through part of it. But I want to watch the actual movie to see exactly what it is that he said and did that reversed everything around. So I am going to go back and watch the movie. And I suggest that everyone go and watch that movie so you get a clear understanding of why things are the way they are today. So now let's get into current events. I don't have any questions. I don't have any questions Q&A for today. So we're going to skip that set, that section of the program. And we're going to go straight into what I would have as op-ed. But this week I have some good news to talk about of what was happening in current events. There were some exciting things that took place um, positively for one in New York, there were a number of um, states that have started defunding their police departments and making police reform, which is a first step. It's a good first step because right now we have to deal with what was the, the what's the pain of what's happening right now. And it is the police department with the physical violence, with the actually the the murders that they do against African-American men and women and children. And it needs to be addressed. So I'm happy to say that being here from New York, Governor Cuomo on Friday signed police reform legislation, which bans chokeholds. He repealed 50-A, which was where the disciplinary records of police officers could not be disclosed to the public. They now can be, they can be, I guess you could look them up now online, like you look up um, property or whatever. They're now going to be able to be disclosed to the public. So you'll be able to see the the records of the police officers and what they did and if they've gotten in any trouble prior, all that stuff is going to be made public now. And he made it easier to sue people who call police on others without any good reason. Like Amy Cooper in the park. It's now going to be an offense. You can sue them if they call on you and it causes you any problems with the justice system, you now have recourse. And he set up a special prosecutor's office to investigate the deaths of people during and following encounters with the police department. Now, from what I understand, all that used to be investigated by the police department. So of course, you know, if you have, if I, if my son stole a bike and they came to me to say, investigate why your son stole a bike, do you really think, well, I would, I'm that type of mother, but when you put it together and you have that closeness in, you know, that closeness together, are you really going to get a fair, a fair, um, understanding of what happened? So now they have 
a special office that's probably separate and apart from the police department to do these investigations of when people are, you know, when people die in police custody for no reason. I mean, like, if you get arrested, you shouldn't be dying before you get to the, to the police station. You know, it, it's just sad. But I'm happy that Cuomo went out there and did what he needed to do. He got the people together to get these bills written quickly and he's putting them on the books. So I'm very happy and I'm very proud of New York City. So now it looks like my time is growing short. Once again, this has been a very enlightening show. I had so much information to give you guys and I hope that you um, you do get the opportunity to watch the documentaries that I was talking about. But I want to remind all of us that our word for this month is obedience. And it's something that we should follow to be obedient, to follow what's being told to us in the word so that we can get some type of agreement here. Me personally, when I think about everything that we that they want to change with all the the list of reforms or more than just police reforms. And it has to go because we talked about it being systemic. So it ha it's layers la like the onion. They say like the onion, it's layers. When I think about it, it's just, we need to just probably scrap the whole constitution, get rid of it and write a new one. I mean, cause really when it was first written, black people weren't included in it. That constitution that we're living with now has nothing to do with black people. They just keep adding portions into it to make us be a part of it. But when it was first written, it had nothing to do with us. So if we're going to have an America that's equal for everyone, not just black, but everyone that's here now, because it's, it's bigger than just black and white. It's bigger than that. We have a whole lot of people here now and for it to be equal and just for everyone and for everyone to feel like they belong here together, we need to scrap that constitution and just write another one. What's the problem? but that's just my thoughts. So with that, I'm going to say, remember our word for the month, obedience. And here is our promise for today. It comes from Psalm 27, 11. Teach me thy way, O Lord, and lead me in a plain path. And with that, I want to say, God bless be safe if you go out. Make sure you wear your mask. The weather's getting warmer. So more people are going to be out. Try to social distance. I think that's like a thing of the past now. But try to social distance. Because remember, that coronavirus is still out there. There are still people getting ill. And I don't want any of us to fall victim to that. Be good to one another. Be kind to one another. And until we meet again next week, God willing, be blessed.
Shine.